your name is Jeremy Wolf. Correct. Yeah, Jeremy Wolf. And the company you're releasing the game under is One Wheel Studio. Correct. Yeah. And did you create that company? I did. You know, I I was looking for something. I mean, it's it's a sole proprietorship, so it's just me. I was looking for something that kind of reflected that idea of that I was by myself, um, working on my own, and. I also have a, a love, what some people might call an obsession with uh, bicycles. So I was looking for something that would reflect that as well. Um, I was thinking one wheel takes a lot of balance. And since you're not a full-time dev, you were balancing your uh, your teaching and your uh, development of video games. But am I thinking too much into this in my English class? I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I, I like that. It's, a, it's very true. It's very true. It's tough to balance the two. Yeah, for sure. And so the game is Fracture the Flag, right? Correct, yeah. Can you give a short synopsis of your game? Fracture the Flags, basically, it's just, it's a different take on the real-time strategy genre. It's a slower take. It's not just about amassing units and clicking as fast as you can. Uh, it's about taking a little bit more time, gathering your resources, planning your strategy out. Much of the combat is physics-based, so it's siege, engine, siege weapons, ballista, catapults, using the Unity physics engine to hurl projectiles back and forth. Bombs as well are all physics-based. The brick walls are physics-based. and Yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of it there. All right, sounds good. What would you say is, is the physics kind of like what you built it around? I did. I started building around um, the inspiration for the game was childhood memories of playing ca uh, crossbows and catapults, which was this just, I think, just beautiful game that I used to play when I was probably eight or nine or ten. And you would build up uh, your fort with these plastic bricks that were kind of like large uh, Lego or a Duplo blocks. And you had a tower and you had a flag and the goal was to knock over the opponent's flag. And so you would build these blocks and this tower to kind of protect the flag. And then you had a catapult that was powered by a rubber band and a ballista that was Cover, uh, powered by a rubber band and you um, shoot little uh, plastic tokens back and forth trying to knock down the walls and I think just that that inspiration of playing that as a kid and the memory of, of that and, and then just kind of watching the physics engine and just how neat and fun it is to play with um, kind of combined to shape the game around a physics engine and really use that as a lot of the core mechanics. So in the same way that with crossbows and catapults, you had the freedom to build your defenses as you saw fit with your flag in the game. Is that like the option you can build your defenses precisely where you want it to defend from the opponent? It, it started that way, and I originally had it very much like crossbows and catapults, where you could place individual bricks and build as, as you wanted, um, and that just became really tedious. So that's faded a little, a little bit, um, and now you can build up your brick wall, place it as you want, but it's uh, limited to straight lines and right angles. Okay, so you just narrowed down the, the freedom a little bit just to make it a little more streamlined? A little more streamlined and also makes it a lot quicker for the player. You know, instead of taking 20 minutes to build your base, it, you could you could do it in just a, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah, more game, less setup. Exactly. Kind of exactly what you want. The, the You took the bad out of uh, board games, the setup, and then included more game. Yeah, yeah. And that was just through testing. I, I played it. It was, wonder, it was fun, but it was tedious. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's start with you. Like, who, who are you and uh, why are you making this game? I, I, I'm just some guy who opened up Unity a few years ago. I opened it up, had no idea what I was doing, um, and kind of fell in love with this idea of being able to create. You, you open up Unity or Blender, and you just have this blank slate where you get to create whatever you want. Um, whatever your vision is, you just have to problem solve and get it there and uh, figure out a way to make it happen. Are you self-taught in uh, those programs? I am, yeah. I, I've joked with people that three years ago, three and a half years ago, something like that, all I knew how to do was open Unity and close it back down. 
my background's in physics, so I had a little bit of computer background and technical stuff, but uh, totally self-taught with Unity and Blender. That's awesome. Uh, did you learn a programming language, uh, C++, I think Unity uses, or what does it use? I started with the JavaScript that was there and then quickly found the shortcomings of that and have swapped over to C Sharp, which is, which is a little bit easier than C++. And at this point, can you actually like code like without looking at resources, or do you still find yourself like looking over and checking everything to make sure it's just as you want it to be? Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I, c I can code on my own without looking at resources. It depends. Um, there's certainly certain aspects of, of the code or certain uh, functions or methods that I don't remember the syntax for. Right. Things that I don't do very often. Um, but for the most part, I just sit down and, and I'm coding now. I've um, been working with C Sharp now for two and a half years, so hmm. pretty natural. Why, why did you go into video game development? Was there, there, there's a bunch of other things you could be doing with your time right now. Why, why specifically this? I I don't know. It, it's funny. I remember as a kid um, sitting around and, and wanting to make board games. And, you know, I had a my dad had bought computers for us. And I remember sitting back with you know, the basic programming language and trying to learn how to code and couldn't really get there. But there was always kind of this piece of me that wanted to make games. And I think that the core piece was that that moment of opening Unity and, and seeing what could be created. <laughs> and seeing this tool that I, I I could use to create whatever I wanted. And I think it was just a drive to be creative. Yeah. Are you a big gamer yourself? Uh, not a lot, actually. It's kind of um, ironic. Um, <laughs> and the more that I the more that I develop games, the more I find myself uh, buying a new game and playing it for half an hour or an hour and going, oh, that was really interesting. Uh, you know, that mechanism was, that's pretty cool. I wish I could do something like that or I wish I could. Yeah. How can I incorporate that? Yeah, but then I find myself quickly drawn back into my own project, wanting to create something. And my day job is a is a high school teacher, and one of the pieces that I I loved about that and I love about that is the creativity that happens there. Yeah, the freedom to teach your own way, your own. Mhm, mm mhm, mm exactly. Yeah, it it definitely translates well into video game development, like having your own like schedule and wanting your own like way of doing things, I suppose. It, it does, it does. And this year, it, I've been lucky enough, I convinced my school to let me teach a intro game development course. So that's been a neat uh, connection of the two. How's the uh, demand for that or interest in that? There's 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 good demand. Uh, I work at a pretty small school, uh, under 200 kids here. I got a I got a I got a uh, next year I got a class of 12, and the it's it's pretty neat to see students who come in who aren't necessarily gamers and become pretty passionate about what they're doing. And for the same idea, they're they're able to create something. Oh, watching that magic when a kid for the first time opens up Unity and half an hour later has a terrain that's molded and has trees and plants and they're walking around in it, seeing that that glow in their face is pretty awesome. That's that's super interesting, especially because I remember school. I remember sitting there being like, man, none of my creative juices are flowing here. I can't really do much. And then I, I assume that that's what they enjoy about it, like being able to just be creative and have fun. Exactly. And I taught math math and physics for 10 or 12 years, and there's aspects of that that I love, but it's pretty easy to suck the creativity out of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and even in like art classes, you're directed. Exactly. Yeah. And so my classes, I give them kind of a baseline project. This is what we're trying to learn. This is the minimum of what you need to do. And then create your own vision. <laughs> Go be creative. Yeah. And they respond very well to that. That's good. You've been working on Fracture the Flag for two years, right? June of 2014, I think I... Yeah. Think. Yeah. And have you been solo this entire time? Yeah, the entire time. Working in my free time. I have a job uh, with the hours are pretty flexible. So... I get a couple hours here, a couple hours there, uh, time in the evening, time on the weekends, but just learning from learning from ground zero, basically piecing it together and um, 
reading books and doing it all on my own. And you haven't found the need for any help because a lot of people who are developing indie have a weakness, I would say, like something that they don't know how to do, whether it's art, whether it's programming. Have you <laughs> ever had those issues or do you just like sit down and say, all right, let's just learn this today? Um, I, I would certainly say I have weaknesses in probably all of those areas. Um <laughs> But I, I think the piece was like this for me was a learning experience as much as anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pay the bills with Fracture the Flag. I, I'm, just, I'm I'm trying to learn and do what I can. And and certainly there's there's times where I, I wish I had an artist or who could who could make the UI look better or could produce a better box art or what have you. But um, yeah, really, if, if I've hit if I've, if I've hit a roadblock, my response has been either to redesign something or recreate or get creative or, or sit down and learn how to do something. The art style that I'm using in Fracture the Flag, which I really like. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Was, um, and I don't know that I do the best job of it, but I really like that low poly style. And that was a result of opening up Blender and, and realizing there was no way I was going to do anything even remotely realistic art-wise. Right. And if I wanted it to look good, I needed to learn a different style. And so it just, you know, one way of solving that problem. Yeah, it all came together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I look back at the art that I made two years ago and I kind of laugh at it, um, you know, and, and now I'm slowly updating models in the game and um, just it looks so much better. It's very fun to look back two years ago and three years ago and see what I thought looked OK. And uh, I think the same will be true in another two or three years down the road to look back at Fracture the Flag and be like, oh, man. <laughs> Do you ever uh, share your project with the, the kids you teach? I do. They're all aware of it. And I show them from time to time. I think that'd be inspiring just like to see your progress because they look up to you as their professor teacher. And then they see that you're going through kind of the same struggles they are with learning how to do it. And Yeah, it, it's definitely it's, it's a good connection. Um, you know, they all come into class like like almost everybody who opens up Unity or something. You know, the Internet's full of people wanting to make the, the next MMO. And, um, you know, these these kids come into my class the same the same way. You know, they want to make this grand thing. And I'm like, no sense of scope. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, look at what took me two years to make. Um, <laughs> but it's good. It's good. It, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. And it, it makes a good connection and um, can share the struggles. Yeah. And it's nice of them to have like those aspirations, though, because that gets them thinking and. Maybe you can say like, oh, all right, well, you want to make an MMO? Give me one thing in that MMO you want to do and then just have them work on that. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to help trim down the scope. And, and this year was the first year and I'm just getting in the, the, the games from that class, the final projects. And, and even still, the, the scope was, was really large. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. Do you plan on uh, like putting those online anywhere or do you just like it's up to them, whatever they want to do with it? I'll probably leave it leave it up to them. And the goal for the year was just to create some sort of playable prototype. So the games aren't particularly polished at this point. Right, um, right. I had dreams of of opening up a, a school green light account um, <laughs> and just having the kids be able to put their games up for free. But that too was uh, that was too large of a scope as well. Yeah. Did they work in uh, groups or each of them had their own individual game? So the way we worked, I spent the first semester teaching them the basic skills, um, the basic tools that are in Unity and Blender. And those were all individual. And then the second semester, they were working in groups of two or three to create a, a prototype. What are your goals as a developer? Do you want to become a full-time dev? Do you want to own your own studio or work for another one? <laughs> uh, 
Um, you can't help yourself but but dream of of being able to do this full time. I think, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I'd love to put this game out for sale and you know and have a hundred thousand people buy it. Re- realistically, that that's not my hope, or I should say, realistically, that's not what I'm expecting. But this has given you the experience, so now if you kind of want to go, you have a better understanding. Yeah, and and for me, like I figure, you know, the first game. It's a learning experience. The second game is a learning experience. Um, you know, maybe by the third or the fourth, I know what I'm doing. And so it, it's really it's really a process for me. I have a great job. Um, I live in a beautiful part of the country. I get to play all the time. So pretty happy with that. And I, ha- I have no desire to work for a large studio. The idea of working, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14 hour days in a cubicle farm, I- I'd lose my mind. You know, especially if my job was programming some tiny aspect of the game. I, there's nothing there. What about a smaller studio? Uh, uh, potentially, maybe. I think my, I think realistically, my 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 dream and my goal at this point is to make a middle class income uh, doing this. Uh, my wife and I met teaching overseas, and I guess my dream at this point would be to be able to make enough games and sell enough copies that she could kind of have her uh, her pick her dream school, her dream job in any country in the world, and I could kind of tag along and uh, make enough money to justify calling it a job. I think that's my goal at the moment. That's that's kind of the great thing about developing is you can do that from anywhere and just upload where you need it to be. Exactly. Uh, I love the idea of the freedom of that. So, Do you have any uh, other games or other projects in mind after this or are you kind of waiting for that after you're done this one? Um, yeah, it, it's I definitely have other ideas. Sometimes if I get in a little funk or something's not working very right or working very well, it's uh, it's hard not to kind of shift over and uh, and play something else and work on something else. I think the kind of the classic game developer disease is you start a game, you don't finish it and you start something else. So I've been pushing myself pretty hard just to just to get this one out the door. But I definitely have some ideas on some other games. I've started working on uh I wouldn't call them prototypes, but just testing to see if, if if I can figure out how to get something done. I've got a couple ideas in the back of my head, and game two is, is definitely starting to, to take shape. Let's move on to your game. First, I kind of just to give a little um, perspective for the listeners. Can you give like two other games that might be like an inspiration or similar to Fracture the Flag? Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly the Crossbows and Catapults, the board game, that was the major inspiration. Um, yep. A lot of a lot of the gameplay was designed after that. I, I think video game wise, I, I think a lot of inspiration probably came from early uh, real time strategy games. Um, you know, I, I remember one of the first games that I I think it was probably the first multiplayer game I ever played was the was uh, Warcraft 2. And I just I have such fond memories of playing that. I guess I was a high schooler at the time playing Warcraft 2 with friends and just I don't know it. I, I loved it. I loved it. And certainly StarCraft, the original, the, the same way. I remember hours and hours spent um, in my college dorm room playing uh, StarCraft instead of studying. And and I, I don't know. I, and I play some of the RTSs now, and I, I feel like it's more about clicking really fast. It's about amassing these huge units. And, and I don't remember that with those older games. To clarify, because uh, I haven't actually... It's an RTS like CTF, real time strategy capture the flag. Is it capturing the flag? It's it's at, at this point it's it's mostly knocking them down. Um, okay. One of the visions for the game was that with the structure the way it is now, it certainly employ a lot of different uh, game modes, and I think a capture the flag style mode um, certainly doable um, with a little addition to the code base. So that, that's a vision for the future, or potential vision for the future. But at this point, it's just knocking down the flags. Okay. Could you give like a little overview of the units? Because from the video I watched, I saw catapults, ballistas, and workers, but I didn't notice too much else. 
Yeah, so it's it's designed to be pretty simple. Um, the workers themselves will take on a bunch of different roles. So um, there are no specialized soldier class, rockets class, and things like that. Not so much. And so the worker the workers can be recruited at the barracks and um, take on the role of a swordsman. At the moment, that's the only ground melee unit. Macemen, spearmen are also available. Hopefully, in the future. The workers will pick up bombs, deliver bombs, they'll cut down trees, they'll harvest your stone. And so the idea was to keep it, again, pretty simple, both for uh, being a solo dev, just trying to keep it pretty um, streamlined. And just also gameplay wise, you, it keeps the game very flexible. You create your workers, you can assign them to collect stone. Uh, you, need, you need more swordsmen, you grab those guys and you, and you recruit them into a swordsman. So yeah, the number of units is fairly small. Um, I've set some uh, stretch goals, so to speak, that would include the addition of some air units and some naval units. Actually, it kind of leads into, so I'm asking about the diversity in the gameplay now. I noticed like a tech tree, it seemed, or like a talent tree where there was ground, mm -hmm. economic, and then I couldn't see the uh, third thing, but it looked like navy options. Was that like what you wanted to do? Yeah, and so, yeah, right now the game's built around, this tech tree is there to um, provide a, a, another layer of the strategy and let the player kind of choose where to go, um, how they want to play that particular game. And so, yeah, you're right. There's a there's an economic aspect to that, which is largely upgrading the workers and some of the buildings to be able to produce more quicker. And one wing of that that's uh, not currently there, but is shown in the game is the naval and air units. Okay. Yeah, and that would be a potential expansion in the future. Walk me through one match. You start the game, you put down some buildings, and you start growing. Where do you go from there? What do you do? Yeah, so as you start, all you'll have is one flag planted, and that has an area of control around it. In that area of control is where you can um, place new workers, where you can place new buildings. And so players will slowly build up their economy. Uh, the economy is largely based around four resources or four currencies. There's stone from out of the quarries, which are already placed on the map. There's minerals that come out of the mine, which can only be placed at certain points. Again, that kind of adds a strategic, technical aspect to the what land you control. And trees as well. The lumber gets processed, or the wood gets processed into lumber, and the trees are all over the map. Um, the fourth currency is based out of the flags. So as you plant flags, uh, that helps you expand your territory. And each flag at fixed intervals will generate what was originally a working name, but it's, it's somehow made its way into the game, just called build points. Um, and uh, those are used to create workers, to build buildings um, and such things. And the tech tree, uh, the currency used to purchase the tech tree is the build points. So the more flags you build, the more upgrades you can um, get. Oh, so you're limited to building wherever you have flags. So if you want to expand, you need to do the flag first, then you go and start building there? Exactly. And so as you as you plant new flags, and the flags also have to be um, placed within this area of control. They have to be placed near the flag. So you expand your territory that way. Um, and as well, you're increasing your the rate of uh, build point. Um, accumulation, yeah. Accumulation, yeah. I have an army. Uh, I have a few catapults, ballistas. Or actually, tell me, what what is the scale? Like, how many catapults, ballistas, and workers could I have? Um, I, it's it's gonna be I, I hinted at before. It's gonna be smaller than a lot of modern RTSs. Um, my guess, worker wise, most players will probably end up with somewhere in between fifty and hundred workers. Um, wow, that's actually quite a bit. The catapults and ballista, my guess is it'll be closer to ten or fifteen. Um, with a full with a full game going on. Okay. And so again, the tech tree is designed to kind of have players pick their their direction. And so in order to get the catapults and the ballista, you're going to have to purchase some upgrades to go that direction. If you want to go towards the melee units, you have to purchase some upgrades there. And so it's designed to kind of 
have players choose their strategy. How do they want to go about doing it? Um, and the tech tree is also designed in such a way um, to not allow players to get all of the upgrades. So you have to commit. You kind of you have to commit. You have to commit uh, a certain way, and you're not going to be able to do it all. You got to pick a strategy. The tech tree is match to match, like different, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Every game starts fresh and new. You start with one flag, and that's all. Is the um, at the very beginning, both opponents are on equal footing, right? There is nothing that can be different at the very, very beginning. Uh, nothing that's different other than a little bit of the terrain that they're on. Oh, right. Okay, so they're a starting point. Is that uh, procedurally generated, or is it just uh, set maps? They're, they're set maps at this point. Okay. And so at this point, there are two multiplayer maps. One is a 1v1, pretty straightforward, surrounded by mountains, with some lakes in between and some high and low points. High points, obviously, again, with the physics engine, if you've got your catapult higher, you can shoot farther. Yeah. Um, and the second map is a four-player map with a series of islands, kind of islands in the skies is what I call it. Um and they're all connected by bridges. Um, and again, there's elevation differences between them, so you get some strategic differences in values as you claim new territory. Can you uh, be on teams? The, there's no team structure at the moment. Um, part of that was just complexity of coding and also just the, right. you know. Uh, there's an in-game chat, so alliances and such could be formed <laughs> once, you're, once you're playing. Yeah, I can see that happening. <laughs> yeah. And so how, how do you go about balancing the maps? You say there's high points, low points. Do you just make it easy and be like, all right, this side gets one high point, this side gets one high point, and then... Largely, largely, yeah. The ter the terrain and the maps are largely balanced just from symmetry. And so, okay. um, like on the two-player map, they all start they start near a core, they start near a mine, and there's roughly equal, roughly equal access. Um, same with the island map. Maps are roughly the equal size, they have the same number of resources, but then the, the neutral islands, the unclaimed ones, vary more dramatically. How, how long would the average match be between two people? Yeah, I, I, uh, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't have a lot of great data. I was intending the game to be reasonably quick. My original thought was that we could sit down for a match and play it in 20, 30, maybe 40 minutes. Um, and I think that's still very likely to be true on the smaller maps once people know what they're doing, once they know how to build up their economy effectively. I think the larger four-player maps, I think, could go on for an hour or two hours, as there's a lot of terrain, especially with the four-player map. If you were to start a game there with just two players, there would be a huge amount of territory to claim, and it would, the match could go for a considerable amount of time. All right, and going into that, with RTSs, it's very important to have like the push-pull, one side's winning, and then the other side like does something to counteract and move mm -hmm. the pole back and forth. Have you? Do you think you've balanced for that? Do you think there's an opportunity for people to make a comeback and fight back after they've lost one? I hope so. Um, one of the, one of the goals of early access um, is to certainly get some feedback and and to help balance that game. Um, I'll be perfectly open and honest about that idea. Um, as a solo de developer, it's hard to get that data. It's hard to get a lot of playtesters, especially when I'm doing this in my spare time. Right. In the in the game economy, uh, an attempt to balance has been the the price of things. All buildings, all units, the cost of those individual units or buildings goes up the more you have um, to hope prevent that snowball effect a little bit. So as you as you build a catapult, your second catapult may cost you 30% more than your first one. And it hits a maximum price, um, so it doesn't just continue and continue. The intent there was to help prevent the snowballing. And the same happens with the uh, tech upgrades. Um, the more upgrades you have, the more it costs. Um, yeah, it should help to balance a little bit. Is there a build time for units and buildings? There is not. There is not. Okay, so it's instantly, as long as I have the resources, it's good to go? 
Yeah. I, whenever I played games, I always I always felt like that was kind of the insult to injury. I just spent all this time gathering the resources, and now you're going to make me wait again. And it's just annoying, right? Yeah, I, that was my uh, my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. How fast do units move? I haven't. Really, I didn't really like notice too well in the videos. Would you say they're like? Because you know, StarCraft they have different movement speeds and stuff like that. I'm just trying to like get a sense of how fast the gameplay actually is when you start going. I, the gameplay is not particularly fast. It's actually a question I had for some of my testers asking, hey, are, are these units moving too slow? And the response was no, they weren't. You know, the the workers move at a vaguely physically reasonable speed. Um, are they humans? The humans, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're moving at a speed that's, that, that's possible by, by a quickly running human. Um, you know, and the catapults probably go at, at, a, uh, at a walk speed. So the units, the units are a little slow, but again, as you can place them wherever you want, it's not, um, especially the workers, you can place them wherever you want. So you're not necessarily trying to have a, you're not having to create them out of a, this one structure and have them walk all the way across the map. Oh, so like they phase in wherever you want them to be as long as it's in within your zone? The workers do, yes, uh, workers. Uh, and the siege the siege weapons are all created at a at a construction yard building, uh, which again can be placed wherever you would like. So you can place those at at the front, um, so you're not having to watch your catapults walk all the way to the front of the. Okay, okay. So it's possible to just amass a lot of resources and then just like bombard the very edges of my territory and then push it would be um and i guess it may be contrary so the construction of the the siege weapons uh there is a time there okay that's that's dependent on how many workers you have assigned to the construction yard so the more um so it benefits you to have workers going rather than amassing resources it does it does things yeah. go faster yeah all right is there okay? So just like kind of get in the little details for like the quarry and things like that. Is there um, a limit to how many workers can be working in there? Or there are, and so the both the quarry and the mine are limited at the beginning to just five workers, and then there's upgrades that are possible that can add an additional worker. And the delivery time, the the biggest slowdown there is the amount of time that it takes the worker to go from those uh, resource points back to the warehouse, which is the storage. Oh, that reminds me of. Uh, have you ever played Stronghold? I have. I love that. Love that. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game. I remember uh, having like the storage center, and then having them to have to walk all the way there. Place yeah. The, yeah. It's kind of what that reminds me of. Yeah, and so and it was kind of an intentional mechanic. So then placing where where that storage is and where that warehouse is becomes a piece of the strategy. Um, so the beginning of the game, you only be able to place. You only have the resources to place one, so placing it near the the trees or near the quarry is going to be an important piece of collecting your resources quickly. If the opponent destroys your storage, does everything just go away? Um, the way it's set now, so when they just um, destroy a warehouse, it does destroy, you do lose some of your resources. Uh, however, if you lose your last warehouse, it does not destroy all of your resources. To give you a chance, okay. Yeah, exactly. The intent is to keep the flags as the um, key mechanic of the win-loss, win-lose um, mechanic and not have the warehouse become a secondary way of killing your Forcing your opponent out, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So you've already mentioned a little bit about your plans to update the game if there's a kind of a demand for it and have that has a few sales uh, with the naval technology and the air technology. But are there any other plans to update for future development and stuff like that? I published a, a list of stretch goals, and, and the idea there was that the um, since Fraction Flag is going to be released as an early access game, I feel pretty good that the game as is is, is complete and fully playable. Um, so the intent with the early access is to squash the bugs and add some polish. And so I really want to, if we get to that point where the game is 
more or less bug-free and fairly polished. Uh, I want to get the community to involved in uh, what kind of updates and what kind of additions they would like to see. And so I, I'm a little open there. Um, but I, as I said before, there's a lot of different game modes that could be could be played. Um, you know, capture the flag. They could have some king of the hill type things. Is there um is there matchmaking per se, or is it I created a game, I'll invite you to play? There is matchmaking, and so as a player, you have two options. You can start your own game, and if you do that, you can pick which map you want to play on. And then any other player who wants to play that map after you will automatically join into your, your game. Um, there's also an option just to join a random game, which will place you with... Um, on any map um, that's still looking for players. All right, that's that's good because a lot of a lot of indie games are coming out with just like the notion of you'll just invite your friends, and sometimes that's sad. Yeah, no, I really wanted to make it as easy and quick to to get matches. And you also have the option when you're playing. So if you're playing the well the two player map or the four player map, um, you can start the game at any point. You don't have to wait for the map to be complete. So if you wanted to go play the four player map by yourself. You can go start that game. I think there's a five or ten second delay and a little button uh, pops up and asks if you'd like to stop waiting for other players. And and then you can play on the map and uh, get to know the map, see what's going on, and learn how to play on your own. Okay, that's that's actually interesting because that can lead to a lot of people just like sitting there like, all right, what would I do here? What would I do here? Where am I going? What should I do first? Things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and I, you know, there, there's a learning curve to the game. I think one of the other things in terms of additions uh, to the game and updates, there's some very basic single-player functionality to the game right now, and I would like to add to that. Yeah, I see features single-player challenge maps. Is that like achieve a certain time to capture this flag, uh, or what? What are you thinking in that? So right now, what's what's implemented are, are, is pretty basic. They're just resource challenges. Collect X number of resources. Um, do it in a certain amount of time and you get yourself a steam achievement um, and it records your best time puts you up on a leaderboard and that was really designed to give players something to do if there's nobody else to play with online and also give them a chance to figure out the basic mechanics sit down figure out how all the buildings work figure out how to get the economy going quickly and easily and so i then the next step to that would be kind of a king of the hill type approach so where maybe the um, the AI has a, an established base, and your goal is to to destroy that base, and so you get a little bit of combat. There, I don't have any um, intentions or aspirations of making a full full on AI or campaign. Yeah, that's just beyond the scope of what you're. And plus, you probably you've worked on this for two years. You're probably itching to move on a little bit. All very true. Yeah, as a solo developer, I just don't think. If I wanted to do it, I want to do it well. And so creating AI that can, you know, react properly, it's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. Uh, the price point you have on FractalFlag.com right now is two ninety nine. Is that what you're going to stick with for a release? That's what I'm going to stick with for the early access release. I would originally planned on going a little bit higher than that. I have a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to this uh, race to the bottom price-wise. You know, I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of hours I have into the game. And so I was originally pricing a little bit higher. And, and then, you know, I started thinking about it like, this is my first game. I'm not here to make money. I'm, uh, you know, I'm here to learn and uh, not quite willing to give the game away free. But it'll go out as early access as $2.99. Price may go up uh, with a full release uh, and with other updates. But $2.99 is where it's going to go. That seems good. Like, I think you could have gone a little higher because, like, I think people have this notion of any game on Steam that's one ninety nine is kind of like cheap or something. Yeah. I think like at three dollars, it it'll at least get people who 
normally wouldn't purchase it to like think like well it's only three dollars right I'll, I'll give it a shot and if they like it then they'll tell their friends to get it so they can play together and stuff like that so i think i think that's a reasonable price exactly and to me i you know I, yeah i could have gone 4.99 could have gone 5.99 but you know i i'm more interested in having lots of people play the game than make money my i i figure if i get a if i get a thousand people to buy the game and half those people think the game's okay then I got 500 people that'll buy my second game and, and building that community and, and building hopefully a halfway decent reputation. Um, it's way more important to me than, than my bank account at this point. Right. And I think a lot of the early access games, like the ones that succeed, even if the games aren't good, as long as the developers are open and receptive, then they gain a following, I think. And at least a popular or a good reputation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so. I, I And that's a big piece. I want to make sure that the community has a say in this. You know, I, I sit here on my computer by myself and it's, I have my own ideas, but a lot, even a lot of what's in the game now is, is come from um, some early followers and uh, folks that have tuned in on Twitch and given an idea. You stream your development? I have. I haven't for a while. Uh, my day job's just been kind of crazy. And uh, to be honest, the the polishing of a video game is, is not a... As interesting as the creative. Yeah. The creation of the art and the basic rules and, and that kind of stuff was far more interesting. When game number two comes around, I'll be streaming a lot more. Twitch slash Fracture of the Flag? Uh, it's uh, One Wheel Studio. Oh, One Wheel Studio. Okay, okay. I had one. Oh yeah. In terms of, you said you wanted like, okay, if a thousand people download it and half of them like it, what are you doing to advertise this game? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh, gearing up for that at the moment. Had a lot of uh, YouTubers ask for keys to be able to make videos. And so I'm using that. I'm a big fan of uh, a new platform came out a little while ago called uh, keymailer.co, which connects developers and YouTubers in a pretty organized format. Um, and I'll, I'll be sending out emails to, to websites and such, but again, my, my ambitions are modest. As long as it gets out and there's some interest, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, selling 2000 copies would feel like a pretty, pretty good success for a, you know, a hobby solo dev that does, you know, this is his first game he's ever made. So I'd be pretty content with that. So we're almost finished here. I actually have one yeah. more question. Um, I'm looking at the map right now and to describe to the people listening. It's a bunch of floating islands with land bridges that are pretty yep. narrow in comparison to the mountain or the mm-hmm. islands connecting them. How easily defensible are like when I think of RTS I think of being aggressive and being defensive, yeah. having towers to defend your land and trying to destroy other people's defenses to get into their base. How easily defensible would like those bridges be? Like is there are there defensive buildings? There are there are um I guess there's not defensive buildings at the moment. Um, uh, defensive watchtowers is one of the things I'd like to add. Um, it's one of the first stretch goals that, that I have. The melee units will provide um, pretty good defense, just camp out a small group of them at the, at the bridge. There was also um, earlier implemented um, some basic uh, traps. And so there's a fire trap and a plague trap um, that can be placed and can't be seen by um, your opponents. I've taken them off temporarily. Um, they should be back on for the release. Um, that was just a performance issue that has to that I'm addressing. You'll be able to place them on the, on the map. Uh, your opponents can't see them. So as the siege weapons cross, um, damage will be done. You'll also be able to deliver bombs pretty quickly, drop the uh, melee units off at the bridges. And the walls will also serve to help do that as you, you can build a wall and funnel the enemy units through a smaller, narrower area. And I think, sorry, the most important mm-hmm. question. Yeah, I mean, this is make or break right here. Can you run over the enemy with your catapults <laughs> and ballistics? Unfortunately, you cannot. Oh, no. Um, that would be... the. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, it would be a very cool addition, though. I'll have to look into that one. All right. Um, do some social media plugs. You have a Twitter and even your Twitch and stuff like that. Just list them off here. Yeah. So uh, if you want your latest updates, uh, find me on Twitter at One Wheel Studio or at Fracture the Flag. Also, Steam communica- community pages are pretty active. Or on Twitch at One Wheel Studio. All right. And uh, thank you for the interview. That was great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.